Good afternoon. So now we're really deep in the heart of this retreat. And Di and I have been hearing how in the practice meetings you're encountering and exploring quite a wide range of different inner terrain. Some of it profoundly pleasant at times. Some of it slightly uncomfortable. And some of it definitely painful to varying degrees of intensity. So this afternoon I'd like to bring in some more resources to help navigate these more challenging phases of the practice for when we're going through different kinds of physical or emotional pain. And as I mentioned in my talk the other night, there are two wings to this practice, wisdom and compassion. And compassion is a very powerful support for those times when perhaps a mindfulness isn't quite strong enough to simply be with what we're experiencing. So just to situate a reminder again about how compassion is situated in the context of the four Brahma-Vihara. So as you might remember, metta or kindness is the first of these. And a couple of days ago, or was it yesterday? I'm not sure I'm losing track of time at this point. Fairly recently, Dai led us in a beautiful guided metta meditation. So we have a flavor of the heart's capacity to just rest in kindness. And then when painful or difficult or challenging experiences come along, we can turn that metta towards them and it flowers as compassion. So compassion then has a very direct relationship to dukkha, unsatisfactoriness, stress, distress, suffering. And as we know, in one way or another, everything the Buddha taught is that how to relate skillfully to dukkha to help it release on deeper and deeper levels. And compassion is a very powerful tool to help us do just that. However, for most of us, this strategy of turning towards pain is pretty deeply counterintuitive. As human beings, to some extent, we are wired to try to avoid pain whenever possible. And so perhaps because of compassion's association with suffering, many people can have quite a strong and often unconscious resistance to compassion practice. I think it's true that many of us came to the Dharma in the first place to try to get away from suffering. So when we hear that the Four Noble Truths ask us to get closer to Dukkha, it can be slightly discouraging or possibly doubt-inducing. And so sometimes, as I mentioned the other night, with metta being given so much predominance, it's possible that at times we can find ourselves somewhat unconsciously using metta to try to distance ourselves from dukkha. And I should put my hand up here. Definitely saw that eventually in my own practice, where there'd be some painful emotion or difficult situation. I'd be just going, metta, 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 And what was really happening was, I hate this. Make it stop. Make it go away. May you be safe. May you be healthy. So... Meta, one of the near enemies perhaps is the possibility of a little bit of bypassing there. Inevitably though, at some point probably, the universe will give us a wake-up call. 
Because no matter how hard we try to avoid it, there are times on this path when pain comes up. And when it does, it's very easy to fall into the trap of thinking we did something wrong, or there's something wrong with the practice itself. So coming into more direct contact with pain, it often reveals our unconscious escape strategies pretty clearly. And our unconscious beliefs about how this path is supposed to unfold and what kind of experiences we should or shouldn't be happening. And again, in my own practice early on, I had a pretty deeply unconscious belief that if I just meditated long enough, hard enough, deep enough, I'd find some kind of metaphorical eject button and that would blast me out of all of those messy, painful, emotional, psychological, relational issues and I'd be on some pink cloud called Nibbana where I could live happily ever after. Well, spoiler alert. (laughs) That didn't work so well. So not surprisingly, with that unconscious model in my mind, I had a lot of resistance to understanding that this path is not about escapism. It's not about just trying to get calm and quiet and peaceful and hang out there forever. Even if that were possible, we need to develop a wiser, more compassionate relationship to all the myriad forms that our dukkha takes. So in other words... The only way out is through. Or one of my other favorite slogans, if it's in the way, it is the way. So compassion practice can bring us face to face with our own personal individual conditioning and also face to face with our society-wide conditioning. I think, generally speaking, dominant Western culture tends not to value compassion or any of the heart qualities much at all. In fact, if we look at the state of the world right now, it can feel like we're in the midst of an epidemic of non-compassion, cruelty even, on a global scale, a planet-wide scale. And maybe partly because of mainstream society's tendency towards perfectionism and competitiveness and domination, For many people, even the idea of cultivating compassion can seem foreign or threatening, as I mentioned last night. So we're fortunate that the Buddha didn't just say, be compassionate and leave it at that. There are actual practices that we can do to train in to cultivate this heart quality. And compassion as a Brahma-Vihara practice is a particular form of meditation And in the insight tradition that we're part of, it's usually practiced pretty similar to metta. So by silently reciting phrases that evoke this quality of compassion and offering those phrases to different categories of people. So similar to the way that Dai did in the metta practice the other day. Though in the case of compassion, instead of general phrases of kindness, the phrases tend to specifically acknowledge suffering with a wish to be free from it. And that last aspect, the wish to relieve suffering, is important because it's what protects the compassion from being simply empathy 
taking on another's pain as if it was our own. And the danger of that is that we can suffer empathy burnout Mm -hmm. or overwhelm. But in the Buddhist tradition, even as we might feel very deeply for another person, there's an underlying orientation to the relief of that suffering. So wherever possible, we do what we can to help ease the pain. And it's this interplay of feeling with and imagining relief that can help prevent us from overwhelm. So the traditional compassion phrases usually acknowledge the suffering and the wish for it to be released. And one traditional example, simply, may you be free from your suffering. And traditionally, unlike metta practice, just one phrase is used, and that one phrase is repeated over and over in relation to those different categories of beings. In my own practice, though, I found that just having one phrase, may you be free from your suffering, didn't quite work for me. And at times, I couldn't get past just the initial resistance to orienting towards suffering. And so it was hard to settle into the heart quality, the felt sense of the compassion. So I'd like to say just a little bit about the phrases that I came up with for myself and and how I tend to use them. So the phrases I use are, I'm aware of this pain, I care about this pain, may this pain release, may I know peace. And we can shorten that at times to aware, care, release, peace. So the first two phrases there, they help to show up any resistance to being with the pain. And then the second two phrases offer a reminder that we're orienting towards the relief of pain. So that first phrase, I'm aware of this pain, it's kind of a test. Is that true? Is there a willingness to acknowledge it? Because sometimes the answer might be a giant neon no. (laughs) And being able to see this is useful. Because unless I can recognize the resistance, there isn't anything I can do to soften it. And in fact, depending on the intensity of the resistance, if it's super strong, then wisdom might discern that actually this might not be the right time to be doing compassion practice. It might be needed to do something, some other form of practice for a while, to soothe the heart-mind. And then when I'm feeling more balanced, I can come back to the compassion practice. The second phrase, I care about this pain, is also a kind of test. And again, we can see, is that true? Do I care about it? Or do I just want it to go away? So again, if we meet aversion or resistance here, we want to cultivate this capacity to care very patiently and gently. So we might almost bargain with ourselves in a skillful way. I will care for this pain for the next 10 seconds, that's all. And then after 10 seconds, we can consciously turn our attention elsewhere take in something neutral or pleasant so that we don't get overwhelmed by the pain. And if this is done with mindfulness, it's an example of right effort, wise effort. And that's very different from then just not going there 
so we can make a conscious choice. Let me be with this for five seconds, ten seconds. Tune into it. Time's up. What else is true right now? This helps us stay balanced. The point is that whatever we choose to do, we're gently expanding our capacity to be with Dukkha. Because trying to force ourselves to get out of our comfort zones is actually a subtle form of violence. And it's usually counterproductive. So if we find ourselves in that terrain, it's much better to take a strategic withdrawal and to back off, to move away from the dukkha for a while. Let the nervous system come back to balance. And then at some point, try again. So then the third phrase, may this pain release, is a reminder that This compassion practice is not masochistic. While it's true that compassion is sometimes presented as, quote, the heart that vibrates in response to another's pain. It's not just empathy. If all we're doing is immersing ourselves in someone else's pain, then that can easily slide into what's known as the near enemy of compassion, which is sorrow or grief. So to prevent this, the compassion needs to be supported by wisdom so that we can stay balanced and not slide into overwhelm. And this balance comes through mindfulness, tuning in very carefully to what's happening in the body, the heart, the mind, and noticing our relationship as we're doing the practice moment to moment. So this receptivity is a kind of deep listening. But it's not purely passive. It also is what enables us to find a skillful response. So as many of you know, in the later Buddhist tradition, the archetype of Kuan Yin represents compassion. And she's sometimes known as she who hears the cries of the world. She who hears the cries of the world. And in the Zen tradition it said she listens as if she had ears on every cell of her body. Which is quite a striking image. But she doesn't only listen. She's also poised and ready for action. Ready to do what it takes to help relieve that suffering. So she's balanced between listening to her own inner world and listening to the cries out there and then finding an appropriate response through that combination of wisdom and compassion. So that's partly why I often talk about compassion as a practice of listening, of actually tuning into an existing mind state even though it might be very, very faint. So for me, it was a turning point in all of these practices when I understood that the Brahma Viharas are not about trying to conjure up or manufacture some kind of emotion. They're about tuning in, clearing out what gets in the way so that we can find the natural state of the heart-mind. And somewhere in there is compassion. So this is an imperfect metaphor, but I used to think of the Hubble telescope as being a metaphor for this. 
Because in my understanding, this is a very powerful piece of technology that's kind of listening to the universe and finding information from the furthest reaches of the universe. And at the start of my practice, I felt like I was somehow tuning the Hubble telescope into the deepest, darkest reaches of my heart and trying to find just the slightest pulse of warmth. And at first it was way, way, way in the distance. But as my compassion antenna got more sensitive, that signal started to be amplified and easier to find. And then the more directly it came into consciousness, the easier it was to let it start to fill the heart and mind. And as it does, it becomes more possible to taste those moments of openness and ease and acceptance even amidst the pain or the difficulty. So the fourth compassion phrase, may I know peace, reminds us of this possibility. And at times it can be skillful to help ourselves in that direction, perhaps by imagining ourselves living without that pain, stress, distress, suffering. So we can visualize how would it be to have this pain released. And the more we can tune into that potential peace as vividly as possible, we have a chance of getting a felt sense of the release of Dukkha. <coughs> so that's what we'll be practicing soon. I'll offer a fairly short guided compassion meditation and we'll be using some of those traditional, the traditional reciting phrases method. And I'll invite us to work with someone that you're close to, that you care about, but who's currently experiencing some kind of difficulty or challenge. <coughs> so it could be a friend or a family member, a partner, someone you know quite well and care about who's having some kind of hard time. And then because this is a gradual training, I encourage you not to choose someone who's going through a really intense crisis of some kind. So on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the most intense anguish, see if you can find someone whose um, suffering is a 5 or less. And in the phrases I'll be using that word pain, but it refers not just to physical pain, but to any kind of psychological pain, emotional pain, difficulty or challenge. So that's an overview of what we'll be doing. And because all of you are in different uh, places in your practice, navigating different terrain, and as I was just saying, sometimes when we sense in to I am aware of this pain, I care about this pain, the answer is, no, I don't. And at times it's skillful to recognize that. So for some of you it may be possible that this isn't the right time to be doing this practice now. So the guided meditation is optional. We'll take a moment, you can just sense into that, and if it feels like some other kind of practice would be more suitable, it's totally fine to slip out and just go and do whatever other practice would be more supportive. Okay, so I'll leave it there for now. <coughs>